Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. In the midst of the national lockdowns, today we talk to Swat Gareva Maleki, the artistic director of Yarat Contemporary Art Space, a non-profit institution located in Baku, Azerbaijan. In between its three exhibition venues and an international artist residency and a multidisciplinary public and educational program, Swat has worked on special commissions and projects by artists such as Goshka Makuga, Nir Vilufa, Oscar Morillo, Vajiku Chachkiani, Taos Makacheva, Michelangelo Pistoletto, amongst others. In this episode, Swat tells us about how the current situation forces Yarat to shift its focus towards uplifting and staying in touch with its local audience, maintaining socially engaged and relevant programs when being strongly globally connected now takes a background position. Hi Suat, thank you so much for doing this conversation with us. We saw each other last time in Baku at Yarat on your kind invitation, working together on a group show which was examining the dilemma of isolation. Literally two months later, we all find ourselves in an unforeseen quarantine. And I know that again, something closely prophetic is happening with another exhibition you were supposed to open at Yarat. Let's start with it. Can you tell us about the current displays and the situation the shows found themselves in? Um, yes, thank you, Farah. Thank you, um, Elizabeth, for having me. And um, I was basically, it's like you say, it's interesting that the times we find ourselves in often are kind of a reflection of something that people have been thinking about for a while, and especially artists with their um, heightened awareness and sensitivities to to the world flows, let's say. And uh, it's interesting that not one, but actually quite a few exhibitions I was working on at the same time happened to stop in their tracks. And that have to do with, uh, with with emptiness, with a new world order, with ecology, and all the rest of it. But um, to answer your question, uh, we had to go into lockdown two days before opening um, two new shows. Uh, one by Ahmed Oud, a Kurdish um, Amsterdam-based artist, um, with an exhibition called "No Poem Loves Its Poet," and basically the central uh, work to that. Uh, show is a newly commissioned film that he filmed in the, in, in a part of Baku um, that has been let's say destroyed in order to be regentrified and um, a lot of it takes place on ruinous landscape and um, also in front of an overturned oil rig kind of subverting that whole idea of oil um, as a substance for, for, for the economy, for our life. Um, but also, very interestingly, there is um, the whole work is, of course, about presence and borders and this kind of fleeting moments and uh, societal structures that are very much vulnerable. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, a big part of nature taking over because there's a, the only inhabitant of that, uh, let's say, have destroyed a cityscape is uh, is a cat and so the cat just occupies the space randomly when they were filming it just happened to be there and whether it belonged to the previous owners or it just happened to pass by no one knows exactly but um, it's really symbolic of how basically nature animals in this case are again reoccupying the space 
that were left behind by humans. And um, the other part of this project is his new sculptural works, the series of new sculptural works with um, animals occupying museum spaces. And uh, he has done extensive research and it's, it's a series that will hopefully grow. Um, and for now, um, there are uh, five animals occupying five different museums across the world. Like in Yarat, we also have a cat that just live there that we feed all the time. And uh, that uh, there are hawks at uh, Tate Modern um, and uh, a few others. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, the project. And um, yes, so it's kind of very much symbolic of animals occupying spaces destined or uh, presupposed for humans and human activity with, without any regard towards that activity which we find ourselves in at the moment. Yeah, and um, I can tell you a little bit about the show also. Should I tell you about the show, the other show? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and the other floor is dedicated to a show at the moment that we also had to not open yet, uh, to Azerbaijani artist Farid Rasulov. And it's all about uh, reflecting on the old traditions and in a quite a critical and kind of a forward way, in a very raw way, where he analyzes and in a very satiric and slightly absurdist manner, the whole idea of um, sacrificial uh, <laughs> sacrifice for kind of this religious sacrifice of sheep or animals uh, and how that has from uh, the, the idea of feeding the poor, it has taken on a huge element of status and power and how animals are being slaughtered at unprecedented numbers during these religious rites, just to um, ascertain someone's uh, belonging or status or wealth and so on. So he also has made a new uh, film uh, that takes place in kind of half dreamy, um, a surreal scenario and uh, also a really large uh, body of work uh, made up of new painting, wall works, uh, sculptural installations and so on. Kind of uh, going back to his own medical background and trying to draw parallels between the biology of a sheep and that of a man and how really we are very similar and the same and therefore should not be um, treating them so badly just because they are sheep. You know, and so there's a lot of that animal rights uh, uh, activism here as well. Also, what he firmly believes in as well. And it's interesting that he is using that tradition, you no know, look to subvert uh, these um, meat eating and meat as a, a symbol of um, of wealth and status on the table kind of situation as well. And uh, yeah, so it's interesting how both uh, artists, in a very very completely different and unrelated way, have. Uh, animals present and um yeah um and we're hoping to reopen once all of this is uh, over or comes down a bit so it's, it's really quite uncertain yet how to remain relevant if people can physically visit the space is probably one of the biggest challenges the museums are facing at the moment we would like to know how Yarat is responding to the pandemic and are you reconsidering its position in long-term perspective Surely things won't look the same post-COVID-19. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a very good question, actually. And uh, we have spent a lot of time thinking about it as a team. And the one thing that certainly is happening is that we're having to work uh, very fast in a completely new terrain. So I feel that as a community, we are all figuring out 
what to do and how to tackle the situation and different institutions are leading the way in different things but generally uh, i find that there isn't one uh, model that you can fully follow or trust or adopt at the moment because nobody really knows what's going on or how to behave so at yarat we have decided to really shift focus to uh, basically focus on our community and what we can do in terms of our online presence to um, uplift that community to provide some content for them and give them something to do uh, mostly in Azeri language because a lot of the content out there is in English and um, so by no means were we in a position to uh, you know start creating content in English and this was also not so necessary so we're trying to do as much as possible online to maintain our programming because apart from the museum itself uh, really let's say 50% uh, of our activity is about education and about programming for the public to come in and experience different forms of art um, and so we're trying to keep that up as much as possible online but as you said you cannot see the art online in the same way you can experience it in a museum so i do not have an answer to that but uh, what we have done so far is that we have created more in-depth video um, tours and interviews uh, with the artists um, for these two shows for some other shows that are in our sister building for more traditional paintings and uh, you know 20th century Azerbaijani art we have uh, virtual tours where you can walk around the exhibition and see um, let's say individual works because most of it is wall-based work so it's much more easy to have that in that format and also with our experimental platform Artem Project Space that is dedicated to um, young artists and young curators uh, locally and also from the region through a residency program, we have ventured into VR as a trial. So I, I'm, we're not exactly sure how it will pan out, but it's a great time to experiment with something that we've been thinking about for a while. And uh, we have partnered um, with uh, a VR company uh, based in Azerbaijan who have supported us technically. And um, we are now doing an open call for works and uh, hopefully we'll put on our first uh, completely VR in, um, exhibition. Um, the good thing is that, of course, it can be adapted and can be also used in the future as the gallery spaces can be condensed or expand as much as you want. This is just left completely to your imagination, and as long as it's supported technologically, it's doable. Uh, it still remains to be seen how it will be experienced by the viewer, and this is something that is quite exciting to see. But um, all of this is still in a very much experimental mode because we're faced with this for the first time and it's about changing not only how we understand art but also how we understand ourselves how we're able to work remotely how we're able to communicate through these new devices through the screen to collaborate with our teammates to um, self-organize uh, at home i think all of these factors are a huge um, input into the situation Besides exhibitions, Yarat runs a vast interdisciplinary program. How do you think a contemporary art space should identify itself nowadays, and what is its role in relation to local communities? Yeah, I think that there's a big uh, um, reassessment that is taking place at the moment, um, and certainly for us as well. And um, 
I think that the whole uh, idea of uh, being extremely internationally connected that used to be kind of at the forefront of everyone's agenda before is now taking, let's say, um, a, a second second place and more of a background position. Because first of all, now that travel is limited, it also makes it um, much more difficult to go everywhere and be everywhere at the same time. And one questions whether that's necessary in the first place. As Yarat, we have always um, been very much uh, community-based. We have tried to make whatever it is we're putting on um, in terms of exhibitions or programs meaningful for our local audiences first and foremost while at the same time trying to remain universally uh, relevant and, you know, uh, viewed uh, through whatever other portals. Um, but at the same time, one needs to engage with the local audience. And this is why even the international artists we work with um, all the time get invited to come here and develop a work um, together um, in response to the local context. Uh, which makes the work then much easily translatable and much more dear to the hearts of our local audience. And through that, you can really uh, do a lot of good by speaking to them in the language that they understand, or even if it's something very complicated, at least the, the, the theme, at least as long as they have a symbol that they can hold on to, it immediately makes it all much more welcoming and opens up this whole new world um, and inquiry and interest as opposed to outright rejection. And so from the very beginning, we have made this our, our mission to be focused on the region as a whole, uh, because we share so much geographically, historically, culturally, and to also be connected internationally, but in a meaningful way for the local audiences. And I think if anything, the focus will now shift even more in that direction. But also, uh, I think that more institutions will now be thinking about their local communities and how they can contribute to making life more interesting in their own city, in their own district, whatever it is. Um, for us, we want to really concentrate on the programs that we do, not just in Baku, but also around the country in different cities, which we have started already, but to um, make it more expansive. Um, and uh, we will still have our international uh, shows, of course, but I think the question then arises how to deal with uh, with uh, really high shipping costs and, you know, all the, uh, the miles that you gather from this travel, from shipping works, from bringing artists. And I think that more and more um, in terms of our programming, uh, while some travel remains essential for, for larger exhibitions and especially solo shows, um, for, let's say, lectures by international professionals for our Yarat Academy or for, for our public programming can happen now online, uh, which is great because overnight this format became much more acceptable and much more um, palatable to, to all, uh, all the audiences, right? So we have a lot of young people, a lot of students that come in and if before they only required always to have a physical person in front of them, now that they've gone through a semester of online schooling, I find that they will be much uh, more likely to accept and welcome, uh, let's say a leading professional that is able to plug in online and speak to them through a screen. And uh, this way, we will not only be able to save on costs and air miles, but also on getting to on saving people's time um, to getting even better, uh, you know, professors to come in and speak um, who do not need to necessarily spend half their week traveling all the way to Baku to be present here. 
personally. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's all a matter of figuring it all out and um, doing things that are really uh, important to your own audiences as opposed to things that you just, that are fashionable to do, let's say. I mean, that being said, what is it to be a contemporary art institution in the region? What are the challenges and how they have progressed over time? Well, um, the challenges uh, locally is of, of, you know, finding your audience and developing your audience. And in the beginning, we didn't have uh, that big of an audience, not nearly as big as we have now. So it was a matter of thinking innovatively, thinking outside the box and thinking how we can engage more effectively with, with the people. And um, I must say that every year our audience grows, our audience numbers grows really exponentially, which gives me a lot of hope and which also gives me a lot of uh, joy and pride in our Yara team that have really uh, managed to put together programs that would be both relevant but also interesting to everyone. Um, so for example, in 2009, 2009, these two of them, I just said 2009, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 10 years behind. No. Uh, <laughs> denial. <laughs> it's here. 2020 didn't happen. Um, anyway, so 2019, we had, uh, we had uh, really an unprecedented number of 122,000 visitors uh, in total to all our events. And considering that uh, the city, uh, we are, let's say, outside of the center and that, uh, you know, that the year before that, it was only about 60,000 or, or not even made like 50 something um that's almost like that's more than double within one year um of of visitors and uh, across all our programs all our three venues and everything and i think it's it's really important that there is more interest and that it's growing that there is more room to grow and that we can do more to get even more people interested in art and all its uh, guises and um and I think in, in terms of the wider region, I think the fact that the absence of a similar type of institutions um, is a little bit of a problem in a way where it's more difficult to forge collaborations. We have tried to focus on many different uh, regions, on artists from the regions. And every year we do at least one, um, if not two shows by artists from our um, neighborhoods, countries uh, by origin or by, you know, conviction <laughs> and you know Farah just curated the show together with Anna our in-house curator on Iranian art a couple of years ago we had a big show of Kazakhstani art and also individual artists we had Vajiko Chachkiani from Georgia Tawus Makhacheva from Dagestan and Russia Ahmed from you know uh, Kurdish Turkish background and you know um uh, many uh, artists come from this uh, this part of the world and we have tried to open our doors to everyone uh, to make it very much inclusive and support artists from the region and I think uh, hopefully in the coming years I know that there are plans to open certain similar art centers Kunsthalles in, in Georgia and Kazakhstan and once that happens we're hoping to have more of a let's say regional network to be able to share the expertise and uh, you know work together as opposed to always um, working with western institutions because inevitably right now we always look west because we have to emulate um, the models that already work there and have been tried and tested but make it um, 
work also within a very specific context that we are in. And so if there were more institutions like ours, it would have been nice to create that dialogue and to figure out the way forward together as opposed to on our own, which has been happening so far. One of your biggest focuses is commissioning. Most of the time, there are major installations having strong visual and mental impact. For example, my absolute favorite one is of Shilpa Gupta, which was commissioned by you guys and was one of the highlights at Venice Biennial last year. We wonder how do you make your selection and commit? Decisions are always made to emphasize one element and to downplay others. So what is principle to your institution when it comes to commissioning? Um, I think the main, uh, the main, uh, and maybe it's quite controversial what I'm about to say, but I think the main thing that uh, drives this forward is kind of the gut feeling that the artist is right for the space. And it's kind of, a lot of it is based on mutual uh, understanding, friendship, and love in the end. Because, um, because the, we are in a very specific context, here it is important to um, work with artists who would naturally engage and who would be willing to explore outside their comfort zones and outside of something they already know and um, th these kind of collaborations have proved most fruitful because the artists that come in they are immediately drawn to um, to either the geography or the politics or the society or the economic structures or the history, the heritage, archaeology, food, music, doesn't matter. Really, the, 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 it's really a very particular place. And um, many of the international artists that we worked with, um, they have to expand their thinking and research and therefore practice in order to accommodate a project such as this but also it gives them an opportunity to realize an ambitious work uh, in a completely new setup and the artists that we select are extremely excited by this idea so this usually becomes apparent already from the first conversations when you see that spark in their eyes and they're super excited about that part of the world and naturally when we start these conversations um, myself together with our curatorial team we already know we have a whole list of artists that we potentially would like to work with that we think are a good fit that we think could benefit and that we could benefit uh, mutually and so once these conversations start, it's not always immediate that the show follows. Sometimes it takes years because of everyone's scheduling. Everyone has been very busy. Um, I wonder if that will change, but um, hopefully not. And, uh, you know, um, so once the artist gets really excited about the opportunity, once they come and visit uh, Baku and often some of the regions, some of the other cities of the country, uh, then they get really excited. And once that excitement is sparked, um, that's when we take it forward because it, it is really a big commitment because this commission uh, takes a lot of time. It's usually very large scale or work intensive or research intensive. Like in Shilpa's case, there was a really like an international research network because these um, jailed poets, it was poets across um, centuries and across different geographies that have been repressed throughout history. So the research was happening in India, um, in Arab literature, 
in, in, in Turkey, in Russia, in Azerbaijan, in, in Europe, everywhere, right? So it was really a multi-country research group that worked on this. And then similarly, it was recorded in all these different languages from Urdu to Arabic, to Russian, to Chinese. And so you had to record all the local um, dialects in their specific. So it was really a big project. And often we realize it also with support and with help with other institutions together. And this is something that had been really nice. So um, right now, you know, one of the shows I'm working on, uh, actually two shows that I'm working on is with Migros Museum in Zurich. And uh, some of the works in that group show are new commissions. So on our own, I'm not sure we would have been able to have so many new productions, but because we're doing it together, it's something that it's uh, both uh, in terms of finances and human resources and time, it makes it much more easy and nice. Um, yeah, and, and so for a lot of the big commissions, the good thing about it for the big solo commissions, like with Shilpa that traveled to Venice Biennial and, you know, many others that travel elsewhere, um, uh, Vajiko Chachkiani's uh, installation, sculpture installation was one of the highlights at Art Unlimited and Art Basel last year. And, you know, it's interesting to see how um, Oscar Murillo's installation that he did from Shecky with this stained glass windows have since then changed different galleries, have appeared in different forms on his other museum shows. And it's always very nice to see how these works then go into the circuit of the artist's career and happen to appear here and there at different festivals, biennials or other museum shows. And to be a part of that, to kind of spread the love and spread the, our own narrative within that history, to become a part of that is something that's very nice and very special, which is why we would like to continue to do that. So many exhibitions, biennials and art events are dedicated to the themes of society's transformation. To what extent do you believe art institutions can contribute to the discourse about ecological injustice, social inequality, and other pressing issues of our time? Um, I think that it, it again, it goes back to community, right? So I think that whatever is pressing within your own um, uh, community, but also sphere of influence. It's extremely important to tackle this because museums and art institutions um, uh, I try not to call, we're not a museum per se, right? So, but we definitely are an art institution. And uh, so, you know, at this scale, you become a hub for discourse, for conversation. So it is important to stay relevant and for it to be a place where people can come and discuss uh, things that are at the forefront of their social understanding, social agenda and uh, social discourse. And so, on different scales, uh, different projects speak to different things, right? So I think that as part of uh, Artem Project Space, which, as I said, is our experimental platform that works a lot with the young local artists and curators, 90% um, of the shows that take place there are uh, very much socially engaged and tackle quite difficult sometimes social um, aspects such as sexism, gender relations, inequalities, economic inequality, uh, you know, protesting against such gentrification that Ahmed also took up in his work and, you know, um, different uh, aspects that are really relevant to, to, to the youth, let's say, and to the younger generation of artists that them rebelling against their own traditions or wanting to change the way things are done and thought. 
uh, here, um, it has been a really important platform to allow that. And many artists showed there for the first time, explored their own artistic voice for the first time. And this artistic voice uh, ends up being the commentary of the day and tries to make sense of how to go forward. Um, and apart from uh, speaking through art, there's of course the platform of the public programs. Uh, it's important through film screenings, through uh, discussions, through lectures, through different initiatives to support um, the subjects that are uh, important and to also support causes that are important. Um, so yeah, to your question on ecology, as I said, we're working on a two-part show with Zurich on ecology, and this is something much more universal. This is something that goes outside of community. And so this is something that affects all of us, like we find ourselves in this impossible situation as, a, as the world, and it's the first time it has happened. And more things like that, unfortunately, are bound to happen if we do not, as a world, change our behavior and our attitudes. And... Um, and this is why it's interesting to then collaborate on an international show with an institution in another part of the world because we brought together a really nice uh, selection of international artists who each from their own uh, field, from their own geography, from their own viewpoint, come up with ways to deal with this and move forward. And um, I think that artists are really at the forefront of innovation always and always had been and always will be. So it's interesting always to see and to be a part of that and to be able to show and share that with the wider audiences of what they have to say and how they see the world going forward. Thank you, Suat. Can you perhaps tell us a little bit more about this exhibition you are co-commissioning with uh, Migros Museum in Zurich? It's, it's called Potential Worlds, uh, Planetary Memories and Ecofictions. So it's, it's uh, conceived in two parts. And uh, the first part um, called Planetary Worlds 1, <laughs> sorry, Potential Worlds 1, Planetary Memories, deals with uh, uh, decolonial thinking about nature. And it's really a call to readjust our thought to really square with the history and with how we were conditioned to think and act in nature and how uh, we need to rethink um, our strategies for coexistence with it and its agents and to adopt a more decolonial thinking in terms of uh, nature and exploitation of its resources, extractionism, and all the rest of it. And um, with artists such as, the first part has artists such as Ursula Biemann, Munira Al-Kathiri from our region, Al-Magdulim in Lubaiva, uh, Ozan Atalan, also people like Mark Dion in Zurich, uh, he's present in the collection. And, you know, there, there are many uh, interesting names such as uh, Rina Saini Kalat from India, uh, Zino Sarawiwa. Um, there are so many different interesting names, uh, both from, from from all over the world. And the second part, uh, also Tabitha Rezer has a very interesting work. And, you know, I, could, I would name all of them, but that would require, <laughs> there are 16 artists in each show. And so the second show, um, Ecofictions, uh, takes a more technological, futuristic turn and considers how methods of how we might move forward with uh, as, a, as a humanity, as a race, uh, with the support of technology, potentially an AI, and despite of that technology as well. And so many of the works suggest very 
innovative ways of thinking about it, uh, such as, you know, uh, the artistic duo Burton, Burton and Nita suggest an alg to, uh, like a symbiosis between human and algae where we can uh, wear algae masks and get the nutrients while giving the oxygen from the mask while giving the mask nutrients and be mutually uh, beneficent with plants and animals and other uh, species in nature. Um, and, you know, Donna uh, Haraway's, uh, the philosopher Donna Haraway's uh, uh, thoughts on uh, making kin and making odd kin with different agents in nature and this non-exclusivity of the human uh, in nature and this away from the human centrism is taking a really big part in that show. But there's also a lot of artists such as Korakrit, Aruna Lanchai, and uh, Kao Fei that take a more technological uh, view and try to understand how we can coexist with technological agents that are inevitably becoming part of our everyday uh, life. And then there's other artists such as Adrian Villarojas uh, presenting, let's say, our usual, what we're used to now as a sort of like uh, frozen moments for the future to understand how future generations will look at our life and what sense they might be able to make out of our old habits. Um, and uh, there are some really interesting artists. For example, there's another one called a uh, Turkish artist based in US called Pınar Yoldaş. And she has created this whole series of works called Ecosystems of Excess, where she imagines these different organisms and from little turtles to crabs to different uh, uh, like sea organisms, developing an enzyme to uh, digest plastic. And it's something that humans will not be able to do, but these organisms might. Uh, so the premise is that the life on Earth will continue, but whether humanity will or not, that's the problem of humanity. And I think this is kind of the most important takeaway message is that we need to think of how we can survive on earth and the only way to do it is to survive all together and not by you know exploiting the others and um yeah it's turned out to we have also an exhibition catalog that's about to be to be uh printed and it has gone to print already and unfortunately the exhibition the first part was due to open in Zurich in March which it did but then it briefly um, abruptly closed a week later because of the coronavirus situation so hopefully it will reopen its doors in the summer with the second part following in Zurich in October and then uh, both shows will come to Baku in November, the first part, and the second part now in March 2021. So it had to be postponed slightly, the whole thing. But I think that, if anything, it will be more relevant now than even before and more pressing. Um, yeah, to figure out how we might go ahead. It seriously couldn't sound more relevant in our new reality. Congratulations on this major show, Suad. Really looking forward to its opening. And we are reaching our last question now. Um, this season of our podcast laterally explores the notion of cultural pluralism in relation to current global isolation. As a head of an institution with a very diverse and international program, do you think the current situation will shift the conversation on multiculturalism and which way is it going? Oh, that I can assume that for a lot of, uh, if we watch the news and if we see what's happening with the borders closing, if anything, uh, countries, localities seem to be 
closing in on themselves and isolating just as people are, right? So uh, it seems that people will not be so open to travel, will not be so open to accept other others from different countries to come into their own and to mingle and whether they're healthy or safe or whatnot. And uh, this, this uh, new culture of control is really disconcerting. And um, I hope that we manage to get out of it without going, taking us back, you know, 50 years where each to their own and we were all very different and uh, separate and othered. And um, I think that what has transpired though is that the same way as we are physically isolated, we're very much connected through different forms of communication that have been made available to us and uh, I hope I'm hoping that people will continue this uh, this the conversations that have been started during this lockdown and isolation and continue to work together to share ideas across the world because it no longer matters where you are right the other day I was um, on a talk um, by uh, you know Oscar Murillo was who's at the moment in Colombia, he was talking to his gallerist, Vanessa Carlos in um, London. And uh, so we all were kind of zoomed in. And it's interesting because ever since I moved away from London, I always felt on a very personal note that I felt a little bit isolated from, let's say, the art world. You can no longer go to exhibition openings whenever you want or to these talks and events and meet with your uh, other friends that might be elsewhere is more difficult and uh, now that we were all online at the end during the Q&A it was this huge discussion with someone plugging in from LA someone plugging in from China me plugging in from Baku and we're all having this lively discussion and debate and arguments and at the end of it when I switched off I thought wow this I think for the first time I experienced this when people were had the time they were at home and they were literally sharing ideas and often conflicting but still sharing the thoughts from literally across all parts of the world in this one online room and online space and I think this is really unbelievable because it creates that type of openness where this type of exchange might have never have happened if it were in a London gallery right? Because people wouldn't have flown in. And even if they happen to be present, probably they wouldn't be so open to engage in conversation. Uh, whereas when you are in the comfort of your own kitchen or living room or a windowsill, like in my case now, you can really, you know, feel that I might as well speak my mind and we might as well all share. And I think it, 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 can, it really has a chance to create really interesting connections where distance is no longer an issue. And you don't need necessarily a face-to-face -face meeting to make some uh, groundbreaking work or to move ahead in your projects. And um, I'm hoping that this positive side will take over and will push us to be more aware of each other and to understand that we're very much interconnected. And whether we want it or not, we really do affect each other and uh, we're no longer isolated. And um, I, I don't think any matters of you know state control or closing borders uh can stop that because again we're all on this planet together and we have to be working in a concerted effort to preserve each other and um yeah so i'm hoping for the best but that of course will depend on how how the whole political uh, arena will develop and uh, sometimes i'm hopeful and sometimes not so much so i think it remains to be seen Suat, thank you so much for this inspiring conversation. <laughs>